Amen. So if you remember a few months ago in the, when we were doing a series we called Traits, and we were talking about these different traits of character that have to do with uh, being a disciple, um, just uh, uh, it's interesting how God works. So last week, Pastor Matt preached on weakness. Now, in the traits series, he preached on humility. And you can see how those things would seem like they crossed up. But if you, were, if you remember the humility sermon and you remember last week, they're not anything alike. And then after that, I preached a sermon on courage. And I preached the sermon. Uh, the whole sermon was focused on the cowardly. Do you remember that? And so now here we come into this series and the, just the way the scriptures laid out, uh, I'm preaching on courage again, and yet it has absolutely nothing to do with anything I said the last time because it's a completely different scenario. So it's just interesting the way that, uh, you know, God just puts these things before us and works it out and directs us. So, all right. Let's jump in. First of all, so fear, if we're going to talk about courage, we're going to have to talk about fear. If it's left unchecked, it can spread into the deepest, darkest corners of our hearts. And it can lead to decisions and choices that in normal times would be unthinkable. Certainly, there's a, some of us in the room who could say that uh, maybe the decisions that we most regret making in our life, fear played a big role in those decisions. Uh, oftentimes, when we are fearful, we because we're rational beings, uh, God created us to be rational, but fear causes us to become irrational. And so when we are afraid, depending on your, you know, the way God puts you together, you're going to have, we all are going to have some varying degree of difficulty in being able to make rational decisions because fear impairs rational decision-making. So, the Bible comes along and says, in 1 John 4, verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Now, this is interesting. Why does the Bible say that perfect love casts out fear? Why does it say that? What, what are we talking about? Well, this particular passage in 1 John 4 is a direct reference to the fear of judgment, which is life's greatest fear. So knowing what this passage is telling us is that knowing our standing in Christ would then remove life's greatest fear, which is judgment, from the equation, therefore... If we had zero fear of facing judgment, then why would we fear anything else? If we're not a so the, it, the, the way to understand it would be, it's almost like if you were a lion tamer and you walked into, by practice, would just walk into cages with lions and that didn't seem to be a problem with you, I mean, we could, I could get to the rational problems with that, but I'm not going to because it'll mess up my illustration. But if you were a lion tamer and yet uh, 
you know, you came over to my house and my daughter's kitty cat came in and you freaked out, ran and jumped on a stool, I would think you're weird, right? If you're not afraid of a lion, why would you be afraid of a kitty cat? That's what 1 John 4.18 says. That's what that verse means. So I want you to think about love for a second. What, what, what is it that love produces in us? What, what, is, what changes when you fall in love? What's different about being in love as opposed to not being in love? What's different about being loved as opposed to not being loved? Just in a human sense. Love equals presence. Think about how difficult long-distance relationships are. Why? Why are long-distance relationships difficult? Why would that have anything to do with it? If I love you and you love me, then what difference would it make if we were 10,000 miles apart? What difference would it make? It makes all the difference. Because love is presence. And when there's no presence, you're going to have a really hard time keeping yourself convinced that there's love, right? So if you think about this, how this works, perfect love then casts out our fear because perfect love equals His presence. Because our standing in Christ that vanquishes our fear of judgment is predicated on His presence in our life. If He's not present, you cannot experience the love of God apart from the presence of God. Those two things are inseparable, right? So you just got to kind of go with me on this equation. So perfect love casts out fear because perfect love equals His presence. So the experience experience of his presence then equals courage because if it casts out fear then it leads to courage so for example last week at the home of grace i preached on judges chapter 6 gideon the great warrior gideon but gideon didn't start out a great warrior did he Gideon started out a very scared, timid, little wimpy guy hiding down in a wine press threshing wheat. God was present. God was sitting under a tree watching him hide like a little scared baby threshing wheat. But he didn't know God was present. And then God revealed himself to him and spoke to him according to what he was what changed, what turned Gideon into a mighty warrior was the experience of the presence of God. See, God was present all along, but Gideon didn't experience that. He didn't know that. So the question is not, is God present or not present? I mean, that, that's obviously the first question. But the real question is, do, have you experienced His presence? So let's talk about how God's present. First of all, He's always near. Look at Psalm 139 and what this teaches us. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, 
you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you. But the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Meaning, there's nowhere you can hide from the presence of God. Is that not what the psalmist is telling us? Yes. So what is that called? That's called the eminence of God. The eminence of God is His is not, not omnipresence. This is a little bit different. The, the eminence of God. It, it just means that God is, is knowable. God's perceivable. He's graspable. So here's the definition we'll use. The eminence of God. All of Him is in. This isn't a typo. Everywhere. Where are you? That's what the psalmist is saying. Where, wherever you are, where, where are you? Are you over there? Are you over here? Are you there, 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 there? Whatever, where you are, He's there. He's there. And in every when. So it's everywhere that you would ever find yourself. And it's no matter when you have found, will find in the future or are finding yourself now. He's there. Past, present, or future. So here's the principle. The principle is, is that everything changes when we are in the presence of someone stronger than us who loves us. See, this is the, this is the, the power of being able to look into your circumstances and ask my two questions, no matter what's happening in your life, and say, does God love me and can God fail? Those two questions, the reason those two questions can propel us through anything that we might face is because of this reality. It's because of who He is. What's embedded in those questions is this understanding of who God is. So you see, everything changes. Everything changes. So I don't know what happens at your house when the sky gets really angry and lightning's crashing and thunder's booming and everything's going bonkers and you just, all of you that don't have little kids, just sleep, boy, you just love it. That ain't how it goes in my house. The minute you hear kablam, you hear footsteps. Into the bed, you know, under the covers. So, uh, Lisa went out of town one day last week and one day this week. So this week, you know, Lisa's going out, went out of town. She was out of town last night, so I'm taking the kids to school. And Kaylee looks at me and she says, Dad, I don't want to have cereal for dinner again. And I'm like, but I have Captain Crunch. It's going to be amazing. Which, by the way, Lisa doesn't let us have, see? So we get it when she's gone. Okay, but anyway, 
So last week was when that big storm came through, Lisa was out of town. But because Lisa was out of town, there was no because she was already in the bed. So kablam happens, and I, you know, wake up, and I look, and I see these two eyes looking at me, you know, like, and I look over, and she's looking at me, and then she smiles and just goes right back to sleep. <laughs> just because dad is there. It's the, the only, just because I'm there. Now, nothing changes with the storm, nothing changes with the noise and the lights, and the, nothing changes with whatever perceived danger was there, but someone stronger is there. And I, she just goes right back to sleep, just like it wasn't even a thing. And that's how we are. And since the beginning of human history, what has God's message been to His people? consistently from the very beginning, all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, God has been saying over and over and over, I am with you. I am with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Now, of all the messages God could have rung throughout, consistently throughout the Bible, that's the one God chooses to to continue to repeat over and over, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. So you think about it. Then, at the end of the Old Testament, and we move to the New Testament, and we, we, we find the incarnation, the, the whole Christmas story of Jesus coming. Well, the incarnation of Jesus is proof positive that God is with us and that He wants us to know it. You see, He's always been with us. But now he's with us in, a, in, a, in an in undeniable, tangible, unexplainable, supernatural, mind-blowing way. And all of that is what? Because he wants us to know it. He wants us to know it. So this truth about knowing that God is with us, this is the truth that we, we most need to know oftentimes. It's the truth that we most often forget. It may be the truth, the, the truth that we most often forget above all other truths. And it can, if we receive it and experience it, embolden us to face anything. To face anything. And you, you, you've heard multiple times us talk about how Really, the way to discern where a person is spiritually, what's going on with a person, what do they do when they're in crisis? You see, it doesn't tell me anything about you when everything's going normal. But it tells me a lot about you about how do you handle crisis. And probably the most telling thing about a person, like the moments when I walk away from an experience and interaction with a person and I walk away with the deepest, most profound, just joy is when someone dies well 
in front of you. You can tell everything about a person by the way they die. When you watch somebody who has a deep abiding relationship with God pass from this life to the next, it is, it is an astonishingly beautiful, amazing thing to see. But when you see people pass from this life to the next in fear and angst and worry and anxiety, it's gut-wrenching and heartbreaking. And listen, I'm not the judge or discerner of people's uh, heart. I mean, I, I always, you know me, I always have an opinion. But, you know, that's just an opinion. But I've seen people that I think are saved die really poorly. It's not like saved people die amazingly. No, no, don't get that wrong. Amazingly saved people die amazingly. So there's a difference. And I think you should understand that. Think about how the New Testament opens up. So it opens up in Matthew chapter 1. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So of all, you know, you think about all the names of Christ through the scripture. You've got all these names. But this is the name that we're introduced to in this moment. And then how does the first book of the New Testament end in Matthew 28? The same message. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. But that's not it. I have to make sure that you understand this last part. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You see? It's this consistent message over and over. So even in his departure, Jesus declares he is not going anywhere. See, he's leaving, and he's leaving his great commission. He's leaving. This is the central thing that we need to accomplish, the central thing that we need to devote our lives to. And in his leaving, he's saying, now I'm leaving, but I'm really not going anywhere because I'm with you always to the end of the age. And think about it, in that moment, Jesus, it, it could have been the moment that Jesus needed to tell his followers the most encouraging thing he could tell them, right? Like he had to reach down into the, the, the depths of his providence and wisdom and sovereignty and pull out the most encouraged, this is the pinnacle moment. See, if they don't do what he just said, everything fails. It's all hinging on this. This is the moment when I'm laying out the point of everything that's happened, everything you've seen from me, everything I've taught you, everything you've experienced, everything, everything, everything comes down to this moment. And the thing that Jesus chooses to encourage us in that pinnacle moment is not I'm going to protect you from harm when you're scared you can cling to me I'm going to provide your needs don't worry no he said I'm with you I'm with you that's the thing you got to know more than anything else 
I am with you. That's telling. But it's even better than that. It's even better than that. Not only is God around us in his imminence, not only is he with us, but he's also within us. This is just basic information, right? 1 Corinthians, remember in chapter 3, we studied verse 16. Do you not know that you're the temple of God? That the Spirit of God dwells in you? Remember that? So this idea that God takes the gift of proximity prior to Pentecost, He takes the gift of proximity and supercharges it into intimacy through the Holy Spirit. So what God does at Pentecost, God doesn't bring a new thing. Have you ever thought this through? God didn't bring a new thing at Pentecost. What God brought was a supercharged version of the old thing. See, because all Pentecost is, is the continuation of what God's been saying the whole time. God started out from the very beginning with the, the very beginning of, of, of the people of God. I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. Don't worry, I'm with you, I'm with you. I won't leave you, I won't forsake you. Then you get to Pentecost and God's like, okay, I'm with you, it's, I'm still with you, but now I'm within you. I'm within you. He didn't, he didn't deviate off into a new thing. He didn't say, listen, forget all that. That didn't work. I thought that would be the thing that would really, you know, empower you and propel you forward. But scratch that. We're going to go a different direction. I'm going to embrace the prosperity gospel. That's not what he did. He kept going the same direction. He just supercharged it. So notice Proverbs 15. The Lord is far from the wicked. You ever, you ever thought about this? The Lord is far from the wicked. What does that mean? Because just think about it in a, in a sensible way. He's not far from the wicked distance-wise. No. Remember Psalm 139? Remember the, the, the fact that God's omnipresent? God's not far distance from the wicked. So then how is he far from the wicked? relationally far remember perfect love casts out fear how does love do that love is presence he's relationally distant from the wicked and so then in Ephesians 2 God comes around and what does he say to the the believers who now possess the Holy Spirit but now in Christ Jesus you who were once afar off because of your sin, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, what makes, what makes him relationally distant in Proverbs 15 and all the other places that God says that is sin. And then sin has been defeated and conquered, and therefore the consequence of conquered and defeated sin is now, that's no longer a problem. So now you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. So here's the principle then drawing near to God never requires a journey. You don't have to go anywhere to draw near to God. You're drawing near relationally. 
See, if you're married here tonight, then you understand this. If you're not married, then what I'm about to say will make zero sense to you. But you can, you can be married, and you can be right next to your spouse and be 100,000 miles away. Or unless you just got married. See, they don't know that yet. They just got married. So forget I said that. Ignore that. It's really impossible. It'll never happen to you. So you're right there in proximity. But you're not near. It's not distance. It's relational proximity. And so when we embrace repentance and faith and humility, we... The distance doesn't change. It's the relational proximity that comes in, see? And so this, this courage, this, this presence creates something in us. When we know that God is present in our life, it, it has this profound effect on us. So we can still know that we're flawed and imperfect and a long way from complete. And yet know that God is near. That he is present. That he's with me. And it changes everything about what I do in that moment. And the moment to follow. And the moment that follows that. Because everything that you process is processed through the lens of Who's with you if you know that this one that is, is strong and loves you? You see that? That's such a, 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 a total life-altering reality. So not only is God, a, he's around us in his eminence. Not only is Christ with us, Emmanuel, God with us. Not only is his spirit within us. But now, because of the work of Jesus on the cross, we're forever in Jesus Christ. So now there's a, yet another level of experience, but it's not anything new. We're just pushing down the same line that God's always been on. He's not introducing anything new. It's just new in the way we experience it, right? But it's the same concept. God's just saying from the beginning, I'm with you, I'm with you. Then the next step, he's going, I'm with you, 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 I'm with you. It's not changing. It's not changing. But he's just trying to get us, he's getting us to examine this diamond from all the different views. It's the same diamond, but it just looks, we're just admiring all the possibilities of the way, the, the beauty of the light reflecting, reflecting off of the, the glorious truth that God's with us in Christ Jesus. So is it me or, it's so crazy to me, but what is it with this, the end of Romans 8 lately? It's like I can't go a week. It's just over and over and over. It keeps coming up. The last couple of Sundays, I'm like, I'm not going to quote Romans 8, 38 and 39 again. And then I'm like, but I, I have to because that's the point of what's going on. And here we are again. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor powers nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing. Now, now come on, new ears shall be able to separate us from the love of God 
which is, and then underline, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why doesn't it say from the love of God, period? That would be 100% true, right? Yes. But now we're, now we're going to the next level. That's always been true, but now it's another level. Now it's in Christ Jesus our Lord. What do you think the most prominent way the New Testament refers to people who follow Jesus, saved people? Think about it. Now, how, what is the by far, number one is 10 miles ahead of number two, three, four, five, of all the ways that sometimes we, we might be referred to as saints. We might be called disciples. We might be called beloved. There's all these different ways the Bible refers to us. It might be five ways this time, ten uses of this. 216 times in Christ. 216. Not even close. The most prominent way that God refers to His people are as those who are in Christ. So think about it this way. So on, on one level... We're in a building. We're all together in a building. And during the course of our lives, we will be in multiple different buildings. Who knows how many buildings you've been in? I mean, who could even count that high? Depending on how seasoned you are. Right? Who, how many buildings have you been in? So we go in different buildings, in different places, in, in different states, in different countries, in different regions, in all different places, all different buildings, all throughout the course of our life, right? That's one level. But on another level, we're all in this solar system. We're in a building. But we're also in a solar system. And it's just two different levels of understanding. And the reality that we're in this solar system together is never going to change. See, we, we won't always be in this building together, will we? But will there ever be a moment in this life when you'll be out of this solar system? I'm going to go with no. Okay, so now think with me for a second. So in the same way, in the same way, Christians are always living in these two levels. Just like the building in the solar system. Think of it this way. So we live in our ever-changing circumstances, the buildings but more profoundly in our never-changing location of in Christ Jesus, the solar system. So no matter where you go, 
No matter what you do, no matter where life leads you, it doesn't matter. You can go to the most random, in the middle of nowhere, other side of the earth, places. It doesn't matter. You're not leaving the solar system of being in Christ. So when we're saved, we exist in Christ. And, it, and there's literally nothing you can do to change that proximity. You understand? That's what Psalm 139 is trying to tell you. You can't escape it if you wanted to. There's nowhere you can go. There's no way to change the unchangeable fact that you're in Christ. See, once you're in Christ, you can never be anything but in Christ. No matter what. No matter what you... See, you can... You can think of all the emotions you feel. There may, be, there may be some buildings that would evoke some horrific memories for some of you. That if you think of that building, you would never go back to that building. You would never go in that building. You experience terrible things in that building. We have an unlimited amount of experiences in all sorts of different buildings. And an unlimited way that it, those buildings make us feel. But listen, regardless of how you feel, regardless of what it looks like, no matter how bleak it appears, no matter how you know, tense it makes you feel or uncomfortable you are, whatever, it doesn't change the reality of the solar system you're in. You see what I'm saying? What we do is we allow, we allow the way we feel in different places to then affect the way we experience being in Christ. And that is wrong. That's wrong. Those two things do not cross paths. You understand? So regardless of, you've got to learn to look beyond how you feel. Beyond what it humanly looks like to you. Beyond what you can think in your own mind. Beyond what makes sense to you. Beyond all of that, you got to remember, hold on a second. Just ask yourself, what solar system am I in? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You see, you've never, from the moment you, God saved you, there's never been a millisecond that you haven't been in the solar system, and there will never be a millisecond that you're not in the solar system of in Christ. Ever. Like you got to think about this for a second. Because you don't believe it. Because if everyone in the room believed it. We'd be crushing it. So don't act like you believe it. Because you don't believe it. This is what I told. The other pastors this week. I have to preach to myself. Every day. If I don't preach to myself every day, I will disbelieve that reality. Every day. Every single day. I have to be reminded what solar system I'm in. See, when dark days turn up, the heat in your life, and then uh, these 
thoughts begin to haunt you in your mind, you face those in Christ Jesus. When sickness comes out of nowhere and knocks on your door and knocks you over, you face that in Christ Jesus. When disappointment leaves you sad, when regret makes you feel defeated, whatever may come, however hard it may seem, no matter how impossible it looks to you or the world around you, you can always take a step forward in courage. You know why? Because you're in the solar system of in Christ Jesus. No matter what happens. See, there's a reason why we say, and the Bible, we say it because the Bible says it. When the Bible talks about courage, the Bible says, take courage. We say this all the time, take courage. We refer to courage in, this, in the way, you know, take courage. Because you can't make courage. You can't make it. You don't have the capacity in you to make courage. Courage is different. See, courage has to be real, genuine courage. See, not the, I can create an environment. I can create a, I can psych myself into overcoming my fear momentarily. But what I'm talking about is, I'm talking about when you take courage, when you put on courage, the way the Bible refers to courage, you fear is relegated to a second place at best position. That's all it can ever be. It's all it can be. Because you've taken it on. And the reason is, is because fear is not something that we, we generate. It's something that we receive. We receive it. We don't create it, we receive it. It's a gift. It, and it comes from perfect love. It comes from presence. It comes from experiencing the reality in your heart that telling yourself, reminding yourself over and over in a million new, fresh, wonderful ways what solar system you're in. So see, think about this. So many times... I know that what I'm walking into is going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be potentially painful. It's going to be difficult, right? That, that's, you have those moments in your life, right? So how do you enter into, how do you go into the building of difficult? How do you go into the building of uncomfortable? How do you walk through the doors of this is not going to be fun? How do you do that? Because before you go through the door of the building of difficulty, you go, you know what solar system that building's in right there? That's how you do it. Where's that building located? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I got it. And you can walk through any door. Any door. 
But you got to be assured in your heart. you got to experience the reality of the solar system in which you live in. So, okay, here's some illustrations. So when the Israelites were standing at the edge of the Jordan, looking across at the promised land, you know what they could see? They could see over there. It wasn't like, oh, you know, look, there's the promised land. Yay! Oh, no. They could see Jericho. Yikes! No one wants to fight Jericho. That's the biggest, tallest, thickest, strongest walls on planet Earth. That's the most fortified city that's ever been built. They can see it. They know what's over there. You think they want to go over there? They don't want to go over there. And so in Joshua chapter 1, what does God say? Well, don't be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. See, God's saying, hey, Joshua, tell all the people what solar system Jericho's in. tell them I'm with you then the next generation comes along and the Israelites are facing exile and God says in Isaiah 41 to them fear not for I am with you now see they're facing exile God didn't say don't worry it's not going to be bad don't worry it's not going to be painful don't worry what you are fearing is not going to come about he didn't say any of that He said to them the one thing they needed to know, the thing they needed to know, hey, is this bad? Yes. Is this hard? Is this building uh, on the block of pain? Yes, it is. But don't worry, it's in the solar system of in Christ, so don't sweat it. Yes. That's exactly what's going on. Then you got Jeremiah doubting whether or not uh, he could fulfill the promises that God's called to him because he's so young. You know, he's ill-equipped. He doesn't have what it takes. And God says to him, but don't be afraid because I'm with you, Jeremiah 1. Then Jesus, when he sends his followers out, he sends the disciples out. I'm just giving you some highlights of this. He sends the followers out to make disciples and proclaim the good news to the entire world. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's the encouragement. Listen, here's the thing. What does Jesus know in the minute that he says... Go and make disciples of all nations. See, this is a great moment for you to realize that that God is the master of not telling you everything you want to know or everything you could know. He tells you everything you need to know. Because Jesus didn't say, now this is what's going to happen, fellas. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. You're all going to die in the process. Is that true? Yes, that is true. But he didn't say that. Because that's not the most important information. Now, we would think, well, what could be more important than that? I'll tell you what could be more important than that. What solar system are you going to be in when you go out there doing this? Don't worry about what's going to happen to you because it's all in the solar system. The one thing he says, I am with you To the end of the age. And why does he say to the end of the age? Because the commission he gave is from that moment to the end of the age. Until he comes back. And so once that happens, well then it's it's over. It's done. But from now until then, you do this. 
It might cost you your life. Just think of all the, do, do you see? We're, we're wimpy. We're such wimps. How many things has God called you to and you just admit in your heart you don't do it because you're afraid? You're afraid. How many places are there on earth that if God told you to go there as his witness, you wouldn't even go? You would not go. That's insane. That, that is ridiculous. It's in the solar system. Don't you see? He's going to be with you to the end of the age. What are we afraid of? And here's the reality. I, I mean, see, some of you, you, I mean, you already got glistening sweat on your forehead. Look, the reality is, is that most of you in here, for a variety of reasons, many of which would probably hurt your feelings, so I'm not going to go there. For a variety of reasons, God is not going to call you to go spend your life in Iran evangelizing Muslims. That would be last Sunday morning sermon that would answer that question for you. The very last blanks on the handout, by the way, in case you're wondering. He's not calling you to go to Iran. He's calling you to do things a million times easier. And you're afraid. You're afraid. You're afraid of what your neighbors might think. You're afraid of what your friends might think. You're afraid of what your boss might think. You're afraid of what people you run into might think. You're afraid. You're afraid. Why? It's not a God problem. It's a presence problem. See? It's, it's an experience problem. That's the problem. That's what all of this is telling us. It's whatever you face, wherever you go, however it may be, whatever, what, no matter how crazy or terrible or horrific or whatever it is. Listen. Is he with you? Are you in him? Is it in the solar system? Have you left the solar system? See, real courage, gospel courage, it, it flows from Nearness. Perfect love. That's what casts out fear. See, there's going to be moments when you're going to think, this is it. I mean, I joke all the time, but there's been a lot of moments in my Christian life where I thought, well, here's how it ends. Yeah. That's what I thought. You know, this is going to sink me. This is, this is finally, yeah, think about it. You, you, you had those moments where you think, this is the moment where my behavior, my choices, 
this is going to cause God to throw the towel in on me. See, your flesh wants you to believe that you can behave your way out of the solar system. Doesn't it? It sure does. And then the voice in your head just wants to pile on. You know, Captain Condemnation, he's just waiting in the wings. The minute that happens, he's right there. Yeah. You're going to go so far, you've went so far that God's just like, that's it, I'm done. He throws a towel in. You just made that up. It's just a lie you tell yourself. You know, this is the one thing that I'm not going to be able to endure. Okay. That's the one I've probably thought the most. This is the thing that I'm not going to endure. All right. So, so what if I don't endure it? Then I die? Ooh. In the solar system? You mean... You mean the big penalty for my worst fear is that all my wildest dreams instantaneously come true? That's the big fear? That's the big scare? That's what we got going here? I'm just asking the question. See, some of you, you won't even talk about it. Because you're so wigged out that you think if you talk about it, it might happen. Excuse me, you're not God, and you can't talk things into existence, okay? Can we just go over that real quick? That's some weird paganistic fruitcake something that Oprah taught you. We're all going to die. And you know what? I might die tonight. And if I die on the way home, are y'all getting nervous? If I die on the way home, this sucker here is fixing to go viral, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it's going to be all over the, the web. The pastor said, I might die tonight on the way home. I'm okay with it. Somebody put, veers over, head-on collision. You going to be happy for me? Tony's going to be partying down. I'm just telling you straight how it's going to be. And you know what Tony's not doing? Tony's not thinking, oh. But 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 what about my wife? But what about my kids? But what about what about my church and what about this and what about that? Those aren't mine. I'm not God. I don't trust God enough. You don't think if he kills me on the way home tonight that he's not trustworthy with my wife and my kids? Huh? Come on. Who is this God that you follow? What are you afraid of? Hey, next Wednesday night, we're going on a field trip. 
When y'all come, we all go to the funeral home. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to freak y'all out so bad. We should. It would be good for you. What are you afraid of? Now, if you're lost, I get it. But if you're in the solar system, come on. So what if I want to grow in courage? What do I do? What, what's, the, what's the application? You want to grow in courage. You, you want to experience. You want to, you, want to, you want to deep in your heart know you're in this solar system. You want to face all these things that scare you differently. All these things that freak you out differently. You want to see what I'm talking about. You want to live that. What should you do? What is the response to that? If you want to grow in courage, spend time with Jesus. That's what you do. You see how active the enemy is? The whole stupid thing worked perfect till that slide. You see that? You think that just happened? Do you think that just happened? But here's the thing. He ain't running this solar system. He's not in control. If you want to, there you go. Spend time with Jesus. So here's what I'm saying. Acts chapter 4. Remember when Peter and John uh, were preaching the gospel and they ended up on trial before the Sanhedrin? And they wouldn't stop. Look at verse 13. The Bible says, And when they saw their boldness, the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. Now look at what the Bible says. They marveled and they realized. They concluded in their natural, rational, God-given minds, using the common sense that God gave them, they came to the conclusion that they had been with Jesus. You see that? Unless we spend time with Jesus, we will not speak of him clearly. Because he will not be clear. Because, listen, you spend an inordinate amount of your time, as do I, in a world that rejects, denies, and, and is devoted to go in the opposite way from Christ. So if you think that you can exist primarily in that world and it not cloud your ability to speak of Jesus, you are insane. And you may have left the solar system. Because that's impossible. And so to speak clearly about Jesus, you got to spend time with him. To offset the time that you have to spend in other places. But the thing is, you don't have to spend time with Him. But you have to spend time in the world. But the only way to offset the time in the world is to spend time with Jesus. If you don't spend time with Him, you're not going to speak of Him loudly. You're going to be timid. You're going to be quiet. You're going to be shy. You're going to be meek. That's what you're going to do. We will not have the truth abiding in us and exploding out of us. If you don't preach the gospel to yourself, if you don't spend time with Jesus, 
It's not going to pour out of you. Did anybody come up to you in the last couple of weeks and say, Excuse me, sir, ma'am. I perceive that you have been in the presence of Jesus. Anybody said that to you? It'd be nice. It'd be nice, wouldn't it? See, the more time that you spend immersed in sports, the more time you spend immersed in politics, the time you spend immersed in whatever your interests and your hobbies are, the more clearly you speak about those issues. You see, all the people who spend all their time in sports, you bring up sports and they are bold as anything. Buddy, you talk to any of the political fanatics, you bring up politics and they're bold and they're loud and they're clear. They know what they believe. They know what they feel and they want you to know. But how come we're not like that about Jesus? Because we don't spend time with him. You get bolder about the things you see more. You get bolder about the things you think about more. You get bolder. All the things in your life that you devote a lot of time to, you are bold in those things. All of them. You're bold about your marriage. You're bold about your kids. You're bold about your job. Are you bold about Jesus? And if you're not, the reason is don't start looking for 14 different... No, it's very simple. You are not spending time with Him. Because you're bold about other things, and we all know how you got bold about those, so it's the same way to get bold about Him. Presence. Presence. Courage comes... Out of communion. That's where it comes from. If people look at you and say, you're a person of great courage, well, it's because there's communion. Because that's where courage comes from. See, the antidote to fear and the birthplace of courage are found in the same place. The same place. The promise, I am with you. It's the same place. How many times have I heard people say, I'm just fearful. It's the way I was born. I'm fearful. I can't help it. I don't want to be, but I'm just fearful. I'm just fearful. That's not true. That's not true. When we truly believe in our heart, then our hope is encouraged. Our faith is going to be emboldened. Our eyes are going to be refocused. 
our resolve is going to be renewed. And our hearts are going to be strengthened. All of these things are the byproduct of believing in your heart, experiencing the reality that you're in Christ and that that can never change and that everywhere you go, you're just as much in Christ as you've ever been or ever will be and it can never change. Because He's with you. He's with you. Have you ever noticed that in the famous Psalm 23... David says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. You're in the valley. He didn't say, I'm taking you out of the valley. You're in the valley. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to go through the valley. And you know how you're going to go through the valley? Because you know that He's with you. That's the game changer. See, the bottom line is if God's with us, then we really have nothing to fear. We really do have nothing to fear. It shouldn't seem strange to us when Jesus just scratches His head and is like, wait a minute, what now? You, why would you fear Someone, and this is Jesus, why would you fear someone, not who could beat you up, not who could steal all your stuff, not who could, no. Why would you fear someone who can only kill the body? See, that's our big thing. We're just trying to hang on to this cardboard reality. That's what we're trying to do. And Jesus is scratching his head going, why would you fear someone who could only kill the body? Like, hello? You're, you're in the solar system. Like, I got this thing licked already. What are you worried about? Death is the big fear? Hold on. Oh, death, where is your sting? Where is it? Where'd it go? Like, if, if I don't believe the resurrection, then okay, that makes sense. But if God really did defeat death, did he really defeat it? I don't know. It doesn't seem to look like in a lot of places. Did he really defeat death? Did he really? I'm just asking a question, really? In a few, a few weeks, we're going to celebrate Easter. What are we really celebrating? Is it really defeated death? Or are we just hoping because really all we want to do is just not think about death and run away from death and, and get death as far away from us as we possibly can. Why? It's defeated. What are you afraid of? It is defeated. It doesn't have a sting. See, here's the, here's the, the, the thing. When you start to think like the Bible, you realize... See, my son sitting over there, he thinks when I'm sitting here talking about I might die tonight, he doesn't like that because I'm his dad. But here's what I know. If God takes me home tonight, 
it'll be better for him. Because that's how God works. It's gonna, is it going to hurt? Yes. But you know what God's going to do in the hurt? Make it better for him. He's going to make it better. That's what the Bible says. So why are we so weird? I'm just, I'm, I'm confused. What is going on? Oh, what's going to happen? Is it in the solar system? I don't care. I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about it. God's on the throne. It's Easter today. Tomorrow, you know what tomorrow is? Easter. You know what the day after that is? Easter. You know what the day? Every day it's Easter until the day I die, and then it's really going to be Easter. I'm just saying, it shouldn't be weird. If the gospel's true and Christ is risen, if it's true, if he's really risen, if he really defeated death, if the spirit that raised Jesus from the grave is really within us, if the unrivaled king of glory has promised that he will be with us until the end of the age. If that is true. Then what does it mean? I mean at the end of the day. In the worst possible scenario. I'm going to come and I'm going to sit next to you. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to cry with you. I'm not going to tell you it's not bad. I'm not going to tell you you shouldn't be sad. I'm not going to tell you it's all in your head. I'm going to cry with you. I'm going to sit right next to you and I'm going to cry. Because your heart's broken and my heart breaks. Because the Bible says if one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. Isn't that what it says? You ever dropped a cinder block on your toe? And then said... Oh, it's not a big deal because my arms feel fine. That ain't how that works, is it? See? So you know what? When you're, when you're devastated and brokenhearted, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to cry with you. But I just want you to know something. That while I'm sitting there and we're crying together, I don't know what's going through your mind, but I want you to know what's going through my mind. The whole time we're crying, here's what I'm thinking. Tears running down my cheek, piling up on the floor just like yours. But I'm thinking, my resources always outnumber the difficulties I face by infinity. Infinity. It's not even remotely close, is it? Nope. It's not. So why don't we why don't we why don't we pursue the experience of Christ's presence in such a way that it would change the way that we see 
all the things that we experience such that the people around you who don't know what solar system they're in would start to think you're kind of weird. And they might conclude that you've been in the presence of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your consistency.